Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With, With your, your host, host Kurt Sandvig. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about Perga Stories. Perga Stories, Perga Stories, Perga Stories. That's right, from me, the first ever para-influencer. That's right, I'm, I've coined the term, I'm making it my own, I am the first ever para-influencer. So much better than being a regular influencer. So you heard it here first. Trademarked Kurt Sandvig. Titania can't steal it from me. I am the first para-influencer. And I'm here to tell you about Perga stories. But first, as always, let's talk about them their patrons. The ones that make this show happen. It's right. It's shout-out. Regular shout-outs time to Steven, Jane Ann, Jennifer, Heather G, Shooky Shooky, Zuzus, What's It, Paula, Rick, Nico, Share, and the Mouse. I got another wonderful, absolutely wonderful letter from them. I am loving. I can't wait to share. I'm going to do a whole episode about like listeners, um, paranormal stories coming up very soon. And um, both letters are going to be addressed in that episode because just fantastic stories. Nico, the whole family, thank you. Cannot thank you enough for these wonderful letters. And I, like I said before, there is something wonderful about getting a letter in the mail and reading it. It's it just brings me back to a better, simpler time. But back to the shout-outs. Andrew Paul, Mark Tortuga, Hannah Boo, Mike from Jersey, Tuesday, Jay Bizzle, Andre, Andre, oh, goodness, Andy, Tracy, Virginia, or Ginny Mailman, Tony Jason, Vicky, Crow, Clay, Buzz, Tom, Lobito Works, Glacier, Maine, Isabel, Jen, Jen, Stacy, Amber, Tracy, Sandy, Kelly, Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic, Robot, Webcomic, Sandy Page, Kyle, Sean, Andrew, Scott, A, Sean, Andrea, Devin, Melody, Ricardo, Vicky, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Michael, Alicia, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties, Elizabeth, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Ricardo, Ian, Armor Times 10, Alexandra, George, Seth, Zozo the Demon, Hayden, Cindy, Ashley, What's That, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren, Mangano, Russell, April, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Stacy, Jerry, Scoston, Lindsay, Han, hey, howdy, hi, Megan, Jeff, T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, the Lawrence, Strawn, Veronica, Autumn, J, Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Jade, Nanashi, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, Elijah, Hendrickson, Dan, Laura, Pitts, and Gamer Fan. Now, I had a, a, a impromptu live episode, I'll call it, just an impromptu live episode yesterday because I was bored. I had nothing to do. Um, you know, I just sit at home you know, waiting for the next day kind of a thing. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to uh, I'm gonna do a live episode and see if anybody shows up. And boy, howdy, did people show up. We had a great time. You can still watch it. If you go to twitch.tv, if you find Paranormal Almanac on Twitch is what I'm trying to say, you can watch the episode there. Or if you go to facebook.com, you can find the episode there on the Paranormal Almanac page, not the fan page, but the actual page, the, uh, the real page. Follow them both is what I'm trying to say. But uh, you can watch the live episode uh, replay of it there, and uh, it's just a blast. It was just a, you know, shits and giggles kind of, a spooks and tingles kind of an episode where we talked about some of the stuff behind me, some of the stuff planned, some ideas for episodes, and then um, someone had a fantastic idea about doing a live, um, like, painting and drinking live episode, basically, where we all would get little canvases, and I'll give you guys like a month's notice. I'm giving you notice now. Buy some stuff. Go to like Michael's and uh, your local Michael's and buy some art supplies or Amazon if you have to. But buy some art supplies. Buy a little canvas and then some little, you know, paintbrush and some paints. Just nothing fancy, nothing too expensive. And we're going to have like a paranormal Bob Ross style live episode where we all just get together and, you know, paint happy little aliens or happy little big feet or whatever we want to paint, whatever we decide that night to paint while we just drink and enjoy and have some fun. I'll, I'll throw the, uh, the invite link 
on the live episode so people can actually pop in on live webcam and show off their paintings while I'm doing my horrifically bad painting. Now I'll have to get another web camera set up. I have another web camera already. So I have to get it set up so I can have it like over the shoulder, like face down. So like, you know, while I'm painting, you can see my horrific painting job because I am not good. Not artistically talented in the painting at all, but it sounds like fun. I like the idea. I think it's going to be a blast. So like I said, plan it for about a month out, let's say. We'll give everybody a month to get together, get your painting supplies. If you can't make the live show still, we'll figure out like a topic. We'll be like, everybody paint Bigfoot on a UFO. Like whatever the topic will be, that's not it. It might be, but it's not it officially. You know, Whatever the topic we decide as a group decide. And then if you can't make the live show while you're listening to an episode of Paranormal Almanac, you know, paint up your happy little painting and then post it up on the uh, Facebook fan page. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Um, sounds cool. It was a fun, it was a fun night is what I was trying to say. It, uh, last night's live show was just a fun, fun night showing off some of the cool spooky stuff that's behind me on the walls, where I got it, why I got it. Um, you know, the 19th century Freemason stuff, the, skulls, the, the taxidermy bat, the, the Bigfoot, um, uh, footprint cast that I have, like just a lot of cool, weird stuff. Um, and just having fun and chatting. And, and there was a couple of calls. I even had a couple of callers call in with paranormal stuff. So you got to listen to these live shows. There's some, there's something fun. Like I said, even if you can't make it live, listen to, or, or play back the replay of it on either Facebook or on Twitch and just enjoy. Cause it's just everybody getting together and having a good old time. And I love them. But uh, we have two special shout-outs that I didn't do um, yet, and I want to make sure I do them right now, and that's to Joe Teague and to Stitch. All righty, let's get right on into this episode. There's a lot to get to, and it's a different kind of episode, but hopefully you like it as well. So let's get right on into paranormal news, and let's get to this thing. Love that. I love that intro. If you guys are um, musically inclined, you can send bumper music to paranormalalmanac at gmail.com and I'll have it featured on the show and I'll be telling people like for the, at least the first few episodes, I always give shout outs to who sent in that amazing music, but uh, love them. Absolutely love them. The first story in paranormal news, UFOs over San Antonio, man records lights in the sky, but experts weigh in. With his cell phone pointed towards the sky, Dan Paul recorded something he couldn't explain twice. So, KENS5 posed to several experts what was happening in this video that happened during uh, on September 29th. So, project manager Dan Paul recorded the clips on his iPhone 13 in the Terramont neighborhood where he builds homes. The residential area is located on the far northwest corner side of Bexar County along Babcock Road. It just kind of went across the sky, then it drifted a little further above that house, and then it went up and disappeared. It's hard to tell what the flying object in the video is, the story says, but it's not the first time he's seen something overhead. In October of 2018, while snapping a photo of a rainbow on his cell phone, he noticed a white oval-shaped glow appear above the multicolored arch in a cloudy part of the sky. Look, it's, it's a white dot over a rainbow. I thought it could be a drone, but I have no idea. I thought the photo was kind of interesting. All righty, let's watch the video. As you know, I never play the videos until it's Introducing time. Introducing the Hyundai Evolve no, show. No free ads on Paranormal Almanac. While I'm waiting for this one, this episode of Paranormal Almanac is brought to you by violetsinmay.co.uk. It's amazing vintage-style retro clothing that is just absolutely incredible. But all right, let's get back to this. So I see the sky. I see... A white dot in the sky that could literally be anything from a plane to a bird to a balloon. There's a lot of birds in the sky, but are you going to zoom in? Come on, you got an iPhone 13. Zoom, man. There's five minutes of this? No, there's not going to be five minutes of this. I'm, I'm fast forwarding. 
still a white dot, still a white dot, and remains a white dot five minutes into it. Okay, so Ken Jordan of MUFON said, initially you establish a theory, and then we try to back and prove that theory. With the photo I got, since it was a bright sunny day and there was a rainbow over his beautiful house, the first thing I thought is, was call the lens flare. That's what I think. I think it's actually uh, the sun being reflected in the clouds through the, uh, the rainbow. But he says... He moved on to the video. Without any enhancement, he believed the bright light could be a diamond-shaped craft. Really? I, it's a little white ball. We went in and did some analysis, blew them up, pixelated them, cleaned them up a bit, and it was pretty obvious to me that they were mylar balloons. Hey, look at that. That's what I guessed it was. Just a white dot in the sky, some kind of balloon. So, yep, I agree. Not a UFO, so I don't want to waste any more of your time. Let's go on to the next story in Paranormal News, and that story is... 15 times the speed of sound. Fighter pilots shared chilling details of UFO sightings that defied the laws of physics. That's right. The latest documentary, based on the bizarre night of the UFOs about that Brazil incident in 1986, says that they were moving 15 times the speed of sound. The Brazilian Air Force scrambled uh, its combat aircraft to intercept the objects as per information released by Brazilian authorities, the fighter pilots dispatched to track these objects were mainly left disoriented by what they saw. In the mysterious event, five Air Force pilots reportedly saw up to 21 objects appear and disappear without any plausible explanation. The newly released documentary, Moment of Contact, based on the incident, features a radio message sent by one of the fighter pilots to the uh, control tower the audio played in the film is from the moment the pilot encountered the UFO in what was one of the most bizarre moments of his of his life. The pilot actually screams, it's not an airplane, what is it? It's not an airplane, what is this? There are three of them. The, fi the fighter pilot sent a radio message to the control tower. There's even more. Look, one passed over here, radial 100 to 150, right in front of the Mike Bravo Zulu. Got it? The guy is after it. So you got to watch this documentary is basically the the end result of that news article, but it is chilling to hear fighter pilots actually stunned and alarmed as to what they're seeing because it's not drones. It's not balloons. It's not birds. Disclosures happening at a, an alarming rate, and you're going to see more and more stories like this. Already up next in paranormal news, want to keep going on. Stormy Daniels. Oh, hi, Rum. Hello. You making an appearance on this episode? Hi. How are you? You're a good girl. Stormy Daniel says non-human thing with tentacles haunted her home. This may be the worst encounter. I doubt it's the worst encounter Stormy Daniels has ever had. Uh -huh. Not going political. Stormy Daniel said a very dark non-human thing with tentacles is actually haunted her former home, has actually haunted her former home. She said that uh, the unknown entity would break items affecting her health and mental health of her then-boyfriend. Definitely one very, very dark, non-human thing with these tentacles, and that's what I caught on camera, and it shattered my ex's guitar. It just snapped in, one, in half one day, sitting on the stand. It did not like him at all. According to Stormy Daniels, the haunting started after she moved into her 200-year-old home in New Orleans in 2019. She described the object... Um, she described the different entities on a podcast saying, one is a woman who lost a child and blamed herself. And if I stood in a certain spot in the kitchen, I would just cry. And like a couple people would say, they, uh, they felt like she was cutting. And a couple people said, like they felt like she was cutting herself. She said the, um, the, the spirit was allegedly felt by a medium over Zoom the house is partially furnished, and there's a very old mirror upstairs that I always used to always feel like someone was watching me, but it was kind of a protective thing. And they're like, there's a woman that used to get there's a woman that used to get made up in that mirror. She was a lady of the night, and she identifies with you because you're a sex worker, and she's very protective of any man who gets in that bed with you. The man who was living with me at the time, we started fighting. He got real mean, he would say horrible things to me for no reason. Then it escalated him putting his hands on me, which has never happened when we lived together in our previous place. And then he was gone. I started having these headaches. My hair was falling out. I, was, I have pictures of me with like blood coming out of my ears. Then like stuff would, instead of something just moving or tapping, fly at me. You would feel the hostility of the house. That's creepy. Um, I got to say, I, I've, met, I've met Stormy Daniels um, a long time ago. I was an extra in a non-sexual extra in one of her movies. 
And uh, she was absolutely wonderful, wonderful, very professional woman that I really, really respected when I was uh, when I met her. So, um, you know, very interesting story. All right, up next, flat Earth advocate detained on campus. That's right, flat Earther time, everybody. Buckle up. A man advocating the moon landings were fake and the Earth is flat. Kurt here. Both of those, bullshit. We did land on the moon. There's scientific proof that we landed on the moon that anybody can do. But back to this bullshit story. Oh, and the earth is uh, not flat. Again, you know, you can prove that yourself if anybody with a brain can actually prove it themselves. But uh, a flat earther was handcuffed and detained Tuesday by Kent State University police as they, ad- they attempted to identify him. Police arrived at the University Esplanade in front of the Mac Center following an emergency call that reported a fight between Peter Jarvio, who set up an informational display stating the moon landings were fake and the earth is flat, and an unidentified male, according to the police report. The report states the following that following a heated discussion, the identify, unidentified male knocked over Jarvio's signs. The unidentified male was upset by his theory because he is a physicist and, quote, the earth is not flat. Yeah, um, you know what? Shouldn't you shouldn't get to knock over his crap, but uh, just know that when you see someone kind of dumb like that, like a flat earther, just go, "Oh, well, it's not true. Here's some proof. Here's some evidence as to why it's not proof. Also, you're uh, why it's not true. Also, you're an idiot, and uh, frankly, I don't have time for you." And just walk by them. Don't egg them on. Don't fight them. Now, if they start a fight with you, push them off the edge of the flat earth. You go, all right, you want to fight? Let's get to the edge of the flat earth, and I'm just going to push you off. And when you start falling off that edge, then I'll be like, okay, you were right. Sorry. Bye now. Uh, so he goes, I was uh, talking to someone. The student ran up behind me saying I'm lying, lying, and took my posters and threw them on the ground. I was upset. And when I think I went and I think I grabbed his backpacker jacket and he went to the ground. I straddled him, full guard, I think they call it an MMA, and I pulled his glasses off because I figured he needed his glasses. Okay, this is a fucking weird story. The two men were separated by police. An officer explained to the unidentified male that he could not throw a person's property to the ground because he did not agree with the message. Yeah, all right. Uh, you know what? The rest, it's a very, very long story. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, ultimately... Uh, nothing changes. The flat earther was wrong and is dumb. The uh, physicist, who is a physicist, and you should probably listen to physicists, science is real, um, was right and still shouldn't have, you know, knocked over this guy's stuff. Okay, up next in paranormal news, 11 children found collapsed in school corridor after playing Ouija board games. All right, you kids didn't listen to my last episode? Like, I just did an episode about Ouija boards, and then you're kind of knocking this crap? Come on. Knock it off with the Ouija boarding. Eleven children who took part in a Ouija board game have been found passed out in their school. They suffered violent vomiting, muscle spasms, which medics have said was due to food poisoning. The teachers at the Agricultural Technical Institute in Haido, Colombia, were shocked upon discovering the group of students had collapsed in a corridor. The children, aged between 13 and 17, were rushed to the Manuela Bertrand Hospital in the district of Socorro. The youngsters spent a day there getting treatment, but the mysterious cause of their illnesses had left staff baffled. It's alleged that the children were involved in a Ouija board game. And uh, let's see, the mayor said the children were passed out at the time they were found. They were short of breath and thick drool was coming out of their mouths. It's not ruled out that it was the Ouija board that is part of the investigation. Others say they had consumed water from a container. Others that came from a pool had been given something to eat. After interviewing the children, it was concluded they drank water from the same glass. What the crap was in that glass? Holy crap. But again, be careful uh, Be careful when you Ouija board, who you Ouija board with, and what you drink during a Ouija board, apparently. Holy crap. Alrighty, last up in paranormal news. Not exactly paranormal, but I love this story, and it's my podcast, so I'm going to include it. New D.B. Cooper suspect revealed through lab analysis of Skyjacker's Tide just in time for CooperCon. Uh, let's see. Uh, Eric Eulis, the true, true crime investigator who organizes the annual CooperCon in Vancouver, believed for years that a man named Sheridan Peterson was the celebrated D.B. Cooper. He told the uh, Oregonian that uh, in 2019 he was 98% certain that Peterson was the synonymous pseudonymous criminal who inspired songs, countless books, and even feature film. 
Uh, let's see. They He abandoned the late Peterson as a suspect about a year ago when he couldn't find anyone in the former Smoke Jumper's long life who knew him to puff on cigarettes. The Skyjacker, who bought a $20 plane to, eh, we already know that story. But he said he didn't give up on the Cooper case. On Friday at 10 a.m., less than a week before his annual D.B. Cooper convention, Ulysses will hold a press conference at Vancouver's Kingston Theater to talk about a compelling new person of interest. He believes he may have solved the case. He said that uh, he rededicated himself to his detective work, zeroing in on the new evidence from a 2017 scientific examination of the tie worn by D.B. Cooper. The lab analysis found a variety of metals on the time, on the tie, most notably, notably a unique and rare titanium alloy that indicates was produced by one company, Crucible Steel, formerly Remcrew Titanium. So he contacted the company, tracked down the former employees still alive who worked there in the 60s and 70s, and traveled to Pittsburgh where the, the steel plant was located. This led him to a man he now believes was probably D.B. Cooper, the late Vince Peterson. Yes, the same last name with the exception of one letter is his previous favorite subject, subject, suspect. Come on, Kurt. He says, I am satisfied that D.B. Cooper came from this company. And there is a photo of, not from the same time, but of the late Vince Peterson, who looks roughly D.B. Cooperish, but it's not hard to look D.B. Cooperish, you know. Give me glasses and, a, and, you know, some time, and I can look like D.B. Cooper. Um, he goes on to say that he dug into Vince Peterson's life and work, finding what could be connections to the skyjacking. He also searched the voluminous FBI case files that have been made public and found nothing about a Pittsburgh suspect. Although most names in the files have been redacted, suggesting that he's covering entirely new ground here. The motive for Peterson to hold a plane full of hostages in 1971, the steel industry was beset by labor strife and an economic upheaval with some 47,000 steel workers in Western Pennsylvania alone being laid off. Um, he died in 2002 at the age of 83. Uh, that's about it. That's about it. But a very cool story. A new suspect in the D.B. Cooper story. That story that just never dies. That and Amelia Earhart, you know, although... Amelia Earhart, they obviously landed on Nikamaroru, and it's going to be proven one day. But I've said it many times. I'll say it again. It's Nikamaroru, and it's going to be proven. All righty, let's uh, move on to what we got. Merch? Sure, why not? tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac. Once again, this episode is brought to you by violetsinmay.co.uk. Hold on one second. I wanted to do this last episode, and I didn't do it. Violetsinmay.co.uk. CO.UK. Okay, so it says it's going to be opening soon. I was hoping it would be opened already, um, but the, the store is coming very, very soon. Uh, when it does, I will let you know, but you can also go to the Instagram for Violets in May if you kind of want to get an idea of what they do. And boy, trust me, they do a lot. They do 1950 reproductions and reinventions for modern pinups. They ship worldwide. Their Etsy store is Violets in May 1945. So if you go to Etsy, you can go to Violets in May 1945. Tell them you heard it here, like on Paranormal Almanac. Doesn't give you a discount or anything, but tell them you heard it on Paranormal Almanac so they know where you you know you're hearing from them or where you heard about them from. Um, but you'll see absolutely beautiful, beautiful dresses and outfits, including holiday outfits that are just fantastic. But um, wow, uh, shoes, jumpers. You name it. I mean, there is a ton of absolutely amazing work. So if you like 1950s style, and frankly, why wouldn't you? That is back with a passion. I, I've i I've worn um, Hawaiian shirts for years, and they're becoming, like, very hard to find because everybody's wearing them. But uh, get ahead of the curve here, uh, especially, you know, the women. Get ahead of the curve and look at these absolutely beautiful dresses that you can get. Um, from an absolutely wonderful person. Like I said, I, I, I've known her for a long time. She's absolutely wonderful. So this episode brought to you by Violets in May. You can go to etsy.com slash Violets in May 1945. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. We are back. That's right. On this edition, I figured I've talked about heaven and I've talked about hell. 
or at least things that come from hell, like demons and that 1877 Cars for Kids song. But I haven't talked about purgatory. And there was a reason why. There really was. It's because I didn't really know what exactly purgatory was, how you got to purgatory, why people went to purgatory, how you got out of purgatory. So I figured I wanted to do some purgatory stories or purga stories, as I like to call them. Remember at the beginning that purga stories? Yep. Purgatory stories from the first ever para-influencer, me. Now, I will say, trying to find good stories for this edition was difficult, with a capital D. To give you an idea, I started this outline in November of 2021. But every time I went to research it, my eyes would just gloss over because it was like being in church. The stories were like being in church. And I was like, look, I've got nothing against people that are religious or like going to church. Hell, after listening to this episode, you might be going, I got to get a little bit more, you know, church-like here. Well, maybe not. Actually, you, well, you know what? I take that back. You'll find out why I take that back. But when I would try to do this episode, I would just get so my eyes would glaze over because I was like, oh, my God, this is this is too much like like being in church and being in catechism back in the day. It's just preachy as hell. It's like sermons. And I would stop and I would put it to the side and I'd be like, all right, I'll get to this episode some other time. And it would happen again and again and again and again. And I would come across it and I'd be like, ooh, I really should get to the purgatory stories because it's a like I said, it's a topic that's not talked about a lot. I tried to find a bunch of podcasts that did purgatory stories, and I couldn't. So I was like, all right, I'm going to corner the market on purgatories. And I finally buckled down, and I did. And I found a few very cool, very bizarre purgatories. So I figured, you know, now's as good a time as any to tell them, to tell you about them. To tell them about you? Sure, to tell you about them. All righty, let's, let's start with the basics. As usual, what and where is purgatory? Well, that answer differs greatly when and who you talk to. But overall, um, purgatory sounds like it's separate from hell. There is fire. And, and, you know, here's this crazy crap. Purgatory appeared perhaps only between 1160 and 1180. Before that, you got your heaven, you got your hell, and no middle ground. At that time, it was giving rise to the idea of purgatory as a place. What this guy Jacques Legoff called the birth of purgatory. So it didn't even really begin until about 1100. Now, the Catholic Church holds that all who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, undergo a process of purification in purgatory. Um, friends with God doesn't get you into heaven? I'm calling bullshit on that one. But according to that same guy, Jacques Legoff, the conception of purgatory as a physical place came into existence in Western Europe towards the end of the 12th century, and he says that the concept involves the idea of a purgatorial fire, which he suggests is expiatory, expiatory? Sure. expiatory and purifying, not punitive like hellfire. Hmm... Oh, good. It's purifying fire that you'll soon be in as soon as you die, not punitive fire. Sure, it still burns and hurts and sucks, but but just know that you're purifying in this fire. You're like you're like slow roasting. They're smoking you, if you will, in 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 this fire. And soon you'll be up in heaven. So about that, you know, white light in the room filled with your loved ones. Uh, can I skip purgatory and go straight into that? Can I skip the Kurtz Soul S'mores campfire and just go right to the white room, please? Nope. Maybe. Yes. It's really difficult to nail down an answer on how you get out of purgatory or skip it altogether. Then, a Spanish theologian from the late Middle Ages once argued that the average Christian, average Christian, spends 1,000 to 2,000 years in purgatory. Uh, we're all doomed is what I'm saying. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're, we're, we're doomed. Um, look, I served my purgatory time. It was called puberty in middle school. F that. All right, 
then I wanted to find out, all right, who's in charge of purgatory? Is it is it Satan? Is it the devil? Well, no. There is a gatekeeper of purgatory, and his name is Cato. Look, watching old Peter Sellers Pink Panther movies kind of gives you an, an idea of like what Cato is like. He's always trying to fight you. He's always messing with you. He's always keeping you down. Here's a very, very brief story of Cato. At the shores of Purgatory, Dante and Virgil meet Cato, a pagan who is placed by God as the general guardian of the approach to the mountain. His symbolic significance has been much debated. So, he's just down there at God's be- you know, behest, going like, hey man, can you go down there and watch all these people? And then when they're done purifying in the fire, you can send them up to heaven. Okay, so that's your Purga origin stories. But let's find out if anybody's actually made it out of purgatory or back from purgatory to kind of tell their tales. And that answer is, yeah. Yeah, there are. For this first one, we go back to the late 15th century. St. Lidwina of Sheedham, I'm sure it's not pronounced Sheedham, was a 15th century Dutch saint but also a healer of sorts. Wow, my why it seems weird. My my speakers are echoing. Hello, hello, hello. Hold on. I want to make sure that this sounds good because right now it sounded very tinny and I don't know why. All right. Seems like it's okay. I don't know what's causing that. So I'm just going to continue on. So we got this uh, Saint Ludwina. Now, like I said, she's a 15th century Dutch saint, but before that, she was just a regular old girl. In fact, as a teenager... She had an ice skating accident that left her debilitated the rest of her life. When I was researching this, I don't know why, but that really surprised me that people ice skated in the 15th century. But, you know, apparently they did, and she was, and she fell. When she fell, she had a really bad broken leg and also like a rib sticking out. So she really, really got beamed. Um... She fasted frequently and acquired a reputation as a healer and a holy woman after the accident. She is also thought to be one of the first documented cases of multiple sclerosis. All right, so how bad was her injury? Like I said, um, she she had a rib sticking out, broken. She had a broker leg, obviously, like a Tanya Harding in a previous life, beamed her in the leg. But her biographers state that she became paralyzed except for her left hand and that great pieces of her body fell off. Gross stuff coming at you in three, two, one. Oh, oh, I got a weird alarm as soon as that. All right, that's kind of funny. It was my, my phone had an alarm as soon as I got to the gross stuff. So, great pieces of her body fell off. Blood poured from her mouth, her ears, and her nose. Kurt here. If I ever get to that point, just fucking kill me. All right, gross stuff isn't over yet. The town's official of her hometown, Skeetum, made a journal to document the bizarre stuff that happened to her after the accident. And it still exists in case you want a nice, like, you know, bedtime story to read to the kids. But here are some bullet points. The document talks about her complete lack of food and sleep. Complete lack of food and sleep. It says, at first she ate a little piece of apple, then a bit of a date and watered wine. And then for some damn reason, she was given river water contaminated with salts from the tides. Yeah, her life isn't bad enough. Let's do that to her. It also goes into detail about how Lidwina shed skin, bones, parts of her intestines, which, by the way, her parents kept in a vase and which was written, quote, gave off a sweet odor. But word got out about her sweet-smelling intestines, and so many people wanted to see and smell them, because as we know, people back in the olden days had nothing fucking better to do with their entire lives, and when weird shit happened, they just came in droves. So they went, what's that? That that little girl that uh, got paralyzed ice skating? She's schleffing off body parts, and her intestines smell like sweet, uh, sweet stuff? Well, I gotta smell me some sweet, sweet-smelling intestines. Nope. Too many people showed up, so Ledwina had her mother bury them. I'm still not done with the gross. 
While the soldiers of Philip of Burgundy were occupying Skeetum, a guard was sent over to test her fast. They heard about all these incredible tales about this woman, that this girl that never slept, that never ate, and was just sloughing off body parts. And they went, well, I got to see this. They went over there and they said, the tales of her fasting and no sleeping were authentic. Then, truly horrific time. If gross, if, if this wasn't gross enough, truly horrific time, the guards then all sexually assaulted her, raped her, basically, leaving her bruised and battered. But it was also determined that the fucking priest that was there to watch over her had already impregnated her. Thankfully, she did not have that baby. Okay, we're done with the gross stuff. Enough with the gross stuff. So, little old Lid, dealing with all of that, the book about her says that she was also a miraculous healer. And just like Jesus, she somehow provided food and nourishment to the poor and hungry that everybody that witnessed it said miraculously multiplied or lasted longer than was expected and fed them all. All right. While she's out healing people, well, not out, you know, she's obviously lying up, lying there, coughing up blood, healing people. Uh, she said she was visited by an angel and a man that was in purgatory. She said that he was a sinful man and that the angel told her, well, I'm going to paraphrase here. The angel said, yo, Lid, this total dickbag of a sinner is suffering in purgatory and needs your help. So Lid, as I like to call her, said, um... Hold on a second, I'm lying here paralyzed, coughing up blood, and my mom is smelling my sloughed-off intestines. What's this about suffering? Oh, I can totally help them. All right, let's get back to what the book said. The book says, He is here, said her angel, and he suffers much. Would you be willing to endure some pain in order to diminish this? Certainly, she said. I'm ready to suffer anything to insist to assist him. Um, what? So an angel shows up to a girl lying there, paralyzed, coughing up blood, being brutally, sexually brutalized by other people, sloughing off body parts, and was like, hey, you want to help out this other guy who was kind of a dick bag? Um, can you suffer so he doesn't have to? But she says, sure, why not? You know, my life isn't bad enough. And instantly, her angel conducted her into a place of frightful torture. She said, is this then hell? And the, uh, the angel was like, no, but this is part of purgatory is bordering. This part of purgatory is bordering upon hell. I'm just going to ask now, why the fuck couldn't the angel just help him? Just go in, get him and help him. Why bring down this poor girl? Uh, it's just, you know what? Mm-mm. Most of these old timey stories, they're just bad on both levels, uh, on all levels. Alrighty, so she said that she was converted by her prayer and exhortation and was able to make a good confession, but he soon died, he died soon after, unable to do much penance. After some time, she asked her guardian angel if he was still in purgatory, and she had this vision. So basically, she was like making some prayers, kind of through um, visits and whatnot. She found out why he was down there because he wasn't very good, um, and he wasn't able to do much penance, so he's stuck there. And so she said that she asked, so she asked the angel, hey, is he still in purgatory? And then she had this vision. Looking around on all sides, she saw what resembled an immense prison, surrounded with walls of prodigious height, the blackness of which, together with the monstrous stones, inspired her with horror. Approaching his dismal enclosure, she heard a confused noise of lamenting voices, cries of fury, chains, instruments of torture, Violent blows which the executioner discharged upon their victims. Oh, I'm so glad this isn't hell. Where's this purifying fire, not this insane hellraiser-like torture? Uh, she said this noise was such that the, all of the tumult of the world in tempest or battle could bear no comparison to it. What then is this horrible place, she says. Do you wish me to show it to you? No, I beseech you. She said the noise which I hear is so frightful that I can no longer bear it. How then could I endure the sights of these horrors? So she keeps on going. The angel's seated on the curb of a wall. 
of a well. And she says, who is that angel? And her angel's like, oh, that's the angel guardian of the sinner in whose lot you're interested. His soul is in the well where it has a special purgatory. So there's even a more special, special purgatory. All right. From here, the story gets really long. So I'm going to really kind of like jump to the good stuff. Basically, the angel shows her purgatory, made Lid feel it. And then after a few days, the angel returns saying, you did it. Yay. He's free from purgatory and is ascending to heaven. Oh, what's that? Sorry, can't understand you because you're coughing up blood. Gotta go. Bye. Boom. The moral of that story is never ice skate. How, how fucked up is that? So a lot of these stories you're going to hear, not a lot of these, a few of these stories that you're going to hear, there's only a few of them. Don't worry. A few of these stories you're going to hear is about the same kind of stuff. Hey, there's this dude that's trapped in purgatory um, and he's suffering. So I want to make you suffer. And then if you do penance or do mass or everybody, you get everybody you can to pay, to pray, or you pay them to pray, we'll let them out of purgatory. And these people are like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. For fuck's sake. All right. The next one. Moving on to May 1922. That's right. May 1922, Padre Pio told the following to the Bishop of Melfi. Um, so, and a bunch of other people and like five other of friars. Um, so he's, he's a, he's a friar. He's hanging out. And he says that while Padre was praying by the fireplace in the friary on a winter's afternoon, after a heavy snowfall, this old man wearing an old fashioned cloak worn by the Southern Italian peasants sat down beside him. And Padre's like, uh, who the heck, who the heck are you? How did you get into my friary? I know the doors are locked. What's going on right here? And the old man says, Padre Pio, I am Pietro di Moro, son of Nicola, nicknamed Prococo. I died in this friary on the 18th of September, 1908, in cell number four, when it was still a poorhouse. He goes on to say, one night while in bed, I fell asleep with a lighted cigar, which ignited the mattress, and I died suffocated and burned. I am still in purgatory. Now remember, Padre Pio is in 1922. This guy said, hey, this same friary back in the day, it was a poorhouse in 1908, and I died here. He says, I'm still in purgatory. I need a holy mass in order to be freed. God permitted that I came and asked you for your help. Kurt here. Uh, God told him, okay, you can go and ask for help. You couldn't just be like, hey, God, can you just get me out of purgatory? Nope, nope, but you can go ask this guy for help. And... Seems like he's just some poor guy that died in a fire, but he's in purgatory. But as always, Padre says, okay, sure. Rest assured, tomorrow I'll celebrate Mass for your liberation. Then he walks him out of the friary, which I got to say is kind of a dick move. Okay, well, sure, you go back to purgatory now. Go go back and sit. You go to purgatory. I'm going to go sit by this cozy fire. Ooh, too soon. Forgot you died by fire. Well, go back to your, your cleansing fire. Go away now. And he says, as soon as he booted the ghost guy, he felt scared, then he fainted. All right, now there's a break in the story because the story jumps ahead a few days. So there's no, I have no idea. I can't find anywhere if he actually did the mass for him. But it says a few days later, he's talking to another friary about it. And they went, huh, that's weird. I think this place did used to be a poorhouse. Let's go to town hall. So they go to town hall and they look at the vital statistics for the year 1908, 1909. And sure enough, they found that on September 18th, 1909, Pietro di Moro did in fact live there and died of burns and asphyxiation in room four at the friary, then used as a home for the homeless. That's right. Somehow, Padre Pio had this story, but like he knew it. It was real. Like there was a ghost that came and visited him. The ghost gave him his name, the date he died, the room he died in, how he died. And it all was right there in the town hall rectory, in the statistics. That's cool. Well, not cool, but you know what I mean. All right. So then he goes on to tell the other friar that it's not the first time that it's happened to the Padre. So Padre's like, you know what? 
That's not even the first guy that came here. One evening, while I was absorbed in prayer in the choir of the little church, I was shaken and disturbed by the sounds of footsteps and the candles and flower vases being moved on the main altar. Thinking that someone must be there, I called out, Who is it? No one answered, so I returned to prayer. I was again disturbed by the same noises. Then, he's like, What's going on? He had the impression that one of the candles, which is in front of the lady, the statue of Our Lady of Grace, fell off the, the wall, just kind of fell. So he's like, all right, what's going on? So he stands up, he walks over there, and in the shadow of the light of the tabernacle lamp, he sees a young man doing some cleaning. And he says, what are you doing in the dark? And this little friar answered, I'm cleaning. And he goes, all right, you clean in the dark? Who are you? And the little friar said, I'm a capuchin novice who spends his time of purgatory here. I am in need of prayers. And then he disappeared too. So cut to the chase, sure enough. There was another little friar dude. He died there as well. And he's like, all right, there's two ghosts. I've got proof that both of these ghosts were real. So he starts doing mass to save them from purgatory. Later in life, Padre said, as many souls of the dead come up to this road to the monastery as that of the souls of the living. He said it became such a regular thing, more and more ghosts would visit him. And well, Padre would do mass and then got him sprung from purgatory. I like the fact I like that one a lot because it had facts, it had names, it had dates, it all turned out to be true. Like that's cool. I mean, I guess it's cool. It's kind of proving purgatory, which is kind of scary, but you know what I'm saying. All right, up next we go to 1874 from the manuscript of Sister M. Now, unfortunately, this one doesn't have names because a lot of the manuscripts of the nuns the names were redacted to keep them safe or, you know, like to unname them or whatever stupid reason. But basically, a nun from France that had died on February 22nd, 1871, so three years prior, at the age of 36, started visiting Sister M in November of 1873. Sister M said that she began appearing from purgatory and that this and what this nun writes up is straight up like hellraiser shit so just imagine pinhead saying this next bit i can tell you about the different degrees of purgatory because i have passed through them in the great purgatory there are several stages in the lowest and most painful it's like a temporary hell okay enough with the hellraiser voice i just had to do it for a second there and there here there are sinners that have committed terrible crimes during life and whose death surprised them in that state it was almost a miracle that they were saved, and often by the prayers of holy parents or other pious persons. Sometimes they did not have time to confess their sins, and the world thought them lost. But God, whose, merciful, whose mercy is infinite, gave them at the moment of death the contrition necessary for their salvation on account of one or more good actions which they performed during life. For such souls, purgatory is terrible. It is real hell with this difference that in hell they curse God, whereas we bless him here and thank him for having saved us in purgatory. Then it keeps going on. Uh, next level, bunch of souls. They didn't commit great crimes like the other ones, but they're just indifferent to God. They didn't fulfill their Easter duties. All right, Kurt here. Um, I used to throw these zombie Jesus Day drunken Easter egg hunt parties on, on Easter. And uh, so I'm fucked is what I'm saying. Um, but, uh, so that's the second level people that, you know, we didn't do bad crimes, but we we're indifferent to God. The next one are souls who died with venial sins, not fully expiated before death. Basically, you know, like they had sins and they didn't like tell the, you know, they didn't, you know, say like, Paul, oh, please forgive me for my sins. The next one, the purgatory of desire, which is called the threshold. Very few escape this. To avoid it altogether, one must ardent, ardently desire heaven and the vision of God. That is rare, rarer than people think, because even pious people are afraid of God and have not, therefore, sufficiently strong enough desire to go to heaven. So basically, when these people die, they're on the threshold. They could go to the white light, and they were like, oh, I'm kind of scared of the white light. Boom, you're in purgatory now. All right, let's get back to that ghost nun that visited her. Turns out that she's in purgatory, and in the book it said... She's in the lowest purgatory, where she receives no benefit from anyone's prayer. Why doesn't she? That Look, I get that she was scared of the white light, so she didn't go, so she's stuck in purgatory. I get that part. But it doesn't say, you know, 
what she did so that anyone's prayer can't help her. You got to be a pretty shitty nun to be thrown to the bottom level of 8-bit purgatory. You know what I mean? In my mind, I think of purgatory like this. I think of it like Donkey Kong. And you got to fight your way up level after level. And just when you think you're getting out of purgatory, a giant ape grabs your heaven and goes up to another level. But that's just mine. You know, you choose whatever, you know, heaven, you know, your heaven is in another castle. Whatever video game reference that you think that you can, you know, attach to purgatory to help you kind of, you know, visualize it. It's on you. I can't, I can't control everything. But. Here's another Perga story. So that's it. That We don't know like why that nun, she couldn't be saved, basically. That's the end of that story. They tried to do mass. They don't think it actually helped her because she never told them it did. So for this last one, oh, and actually not the last one, this next one, we go to October 13th, 1849. At the age of 52 in the parish of Ardoy in Flanders, Hidley Ho, Pergatinos! I don't know where the hell Flanders is, but that's what it says. In the parish of Ardoy in Flanders, a woman named Eugenie Van Van der Kirkov. Kirkov? Sure, why not? She's dead. Doesn't matter. She's in purgatory. No, she's not. She's fine. Um, whose husband, John Weibo, was a farmer. Okay, so you got this woman, Eugenie, and you got this her husband, John. So now everybody that knew Eugenie said she was a pious and charitable woman who generously gave to charity and proportionate to her means. She lived a great, very religious life. Okay, okay, I get it. She's better than me. Well, she had a servant named Barbara. Story goes on. Eugenie dies. About three weeks after her death, Eugenie appears to Barbara in the middle of the night. She says that Barbara was awakened, awoken to hear Eugenie call her name three times. So she sits up. Sure enough, Eugenie is sitting on the side of her bed, clad in a working dress consisting of a skirt and a short jacket. And Eugenie said, hey, uh, Barbara, please take the little rake, which I often told you to put in its place, Stir up the heap of sand in the little room. You know which one I refer to. There you're going to find 500 francs. Please use it to have masses said, two francs for each mass, for my intention, for I'm still suffering in purgatory. Again, great woman, never did anything, gave to charity. She's stuck in purgatory. So Barb goes right back to sleep, which is odd to me, because if a ghost wakes me up saying, hey, Kurt, there's 500 francs under some dirt, I'm burning in purgatory, I don't think I would go back to bed, but uh, I wouldn't go like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to go back to sleep now. See you in the morning. So Barb wakes up to find the loot. Sure enough, it's right there and goes, hmm, maybe I shouldn't do what the ghost said. And she goes to talk to her priest and the priest goes, "Uh uh-uh, you can't just spend the money on mass without the husband's approval because, you know, man of the house, old timey bullshit. So surprising to me anyway, The husband goes, oh, yeah, sure, let's do that. Uh, You know, I like Eugenie, let's do this. And they give two francs to each mass until it's gone. It takes two months. So two months after the first visit, yep, Barbara's visited again. This time, she said, her chamber was illuminated with bright light. Her mistress appeared before her with a radiant smile, beautiful and fresh in appearance as in the days of her youth, and was dressed in a robe of dazzling whiteness. Barbara, she said in a clear voice, I thank you. I am now delivered from the place of purification. Saying these words, she disappeared and the chamber became as dark as before. All right. I guess it's a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Couldn't you have just said, hey, do one big mass. Here's 500 francs. Instead of doing it two francs at a time until it's all gone and you have to spend two more months in purgatory. But, you know, whatever. I don't make the rules. That's Cato. Got to ask Cato. All righty, up next. I'm going to cruise through this next one. This next one is from the diary of another Eugenie. I just noticed that. It's Eugenie. That's weird. Eugenie von der Leyen from 1923. All right, June 11, 1923. Awakening a long grayish form over me, completely nebulous. I can't say whether it's a man or woman, but unsympathetic. I'm frightened. June 14th. The phantom was already in my room when I wanted to go to sleep. Then I said my evening prayer aloud, during which it became very near to me. If I hadn't seen it for its arms, I would rather see a I would rather think I was seeing a walking tree trunk. It stayed perhaps 20 minutes, then came back at four o'clock. June 16th. It was very bad. It shook my shoulders. This is a horrible moment. I struck him and said, You may not touch me. Whereupon it withdrew in a corner. At my push, it didn't I didn't feel a body. It was like a humid, warm towel. 
a humid, warm towel. I believed I couldn't stand much terror any longer. June 18th. Again, this horrible thing. I wanted to clasp my, it wanted to clasp my neck. I prayed in fear and took the particle of the cross, a holy relic she possessed, in my hand. Then it remained with me, staying upright and big before me. It didn't answer questions. Then it went out through the door, which it left open. Rude, leaving the door open. June 19th. I can now recognize it's a man. June 21st. The horrible man, more than an hour before, or more than an hour during the night, went back and forth continuously. He has disheveled black hair and horrific eyes. June 22nd. This man from one o'clock until past five with me, it was very bad. He repeatedly bowed over me and sat down at my bedside. I really wept for fear, then prayed the hours so that I didn't see him again. Then he went back, he went again back and forth and moaned horribly. Now it seems to me I must know him, however, I cannot find out who it is. June 24th, he came back, seized me at my shoulders. I said, now tell me what you want and then don't come back. No answer. He went again through the room a couple of times and then was gone. My rest, however, was completely destroyed. At 6 o'clock in the morning, he came back. In daylight, he looks even more horrific, makes a disgusting impression, belongs to the dirtiest category of ghosts who have, ever, who have already come to me. I said, don't disturb me. I want to prepare myself for holy communion. Then he drew very near to me and lifted his hands imploringly. I was so sorry for him that I promised him a lot. Then I said, can't you speak? Where he shook his head. Do you have much to suffer? He moaned terribly. I gave him much holy water, and he was gone. June 27th. He was there again in the night. Seems to know me. I don't know who he is. Am I being... He is very unsympathetic. June 29th. Again in my room, and I went to bed. It could be the murdered shepherd Fritz. Really? Now you're kind of putting the puzzle together? I asked him at once. He didn't react. I prayed with him, during which he fixed his eyes upon me so angrily that I was frightened. I asked him to go, and he went indeed. June 30th, he came very briefly. His moaning woke me up. Not, not, that wasn't a bad one. July 1st, I really believe it's Shepard Fritz. However, his, his face is so black that I have difficulty recognizing him. But figure, nose, and eyes are wholly he, as I saw him many times in life. So he's kind of figured out it's definitely him. July 2nd, came back, didn't look so terribly wild anymore. I, I, I addressed him as Shepard Fritz, and he found it quite natural. July 3rd, came back. I said, are you the murdered Shepherd Fritz? And he said, yes. All right. Moving somewhere. Getting, we're getting somewhere. July 4th, he came to me in the morning looking sad and soon went away. July 5th, it's definitely him. During our prayer, he made the sign of the cross. July 6th, I'm very happy for he can speak now. I said, why do you always come to me? He says, because you've always answered my prayers. You always prayed for me. Sorry, because you always prayed for me. Then uh, what saved you? He said, insight and repentance. I said, weren't you dead immediately? He said, no. I said, will you be released soon? He said, not by far. Then I gave him permission to continue to come to me if it does him well. So he does. July 8th, stopped by. That's about it. July 9th, came at 6 a.m., woke me up. Otherwise, I overslept. He said, is it important for you that I go to Holy Mass? And he said, that way you can help me a lot. July 11th, very brief. July 12th, we prayed together. I said, then what do you have to suffer? He says, I am burning. That's creepy. Um, uh, he pressed a finger on my hand. I was frightened so much and it hurt so much that I screamed. I now have a red burn, which I hope will heal soon. It's a strange feeling to have this visible mark from the other world. July 24th, Shepherd Fitz and another one came two times in the night, all silent, but the new one's not very pleasant. July 29th, nothing special to mention. These guys showed up again. August 10th, Shepherd Fritz drew so near to me again, but looked very friendly. So I said to him, don't you have to suffer so much anymore? He said, no. And I said, can you, no. And can I pray for you? He said, no. And I said, where are you then all the time? He said, in the forlornness. I said, will you still come often to me? He said, no. I said, why not? He says, I'm not allowed to anymore. I said, have I been able to help you? He said, yes. And then he disappeared. How fucking crazy is that? She went through that for like, what, like two months? Yeah, two months of trying to figure out who this dude is. And then, boom, figures it out, helps him out. He's getting progressively friendlier and normal looking as she's helping him out. But there's that second one that only showed up a couple of times, but still creepy as crap. Thankfully, except for the burn mark, she wasn't hurt by this one at least, but still very, very weird. All righty. Finally. 
for this episode anyway. There is a purgatory museum, and it has some cool stories that were already written up. So let me jump um, right into this Ranker article about the Purgatory Museum, and I'm just going to read you a little bit from it. I'm not going to read you everything. It says, The Museum of Purgatory in Rome is one of the creepiest museums in the world. A priest founded the museum after a fire revealed the face. That's right, Father Victor, who is a parish priest of the original Church of the Sacred Heart of Suffrage, established a museum in a, after a fire in 1897 that claimed part of the holy place. While he surveyed the damage... He reportedly found the face of a soul trapped in purgatory burnt into a wall. So he said, all right, there's got to be other items the church has that's, you know, marked by the hands of the souls in purgatory. So let's do it. Um, that same father traveled from Italy to many countries to collect the many items on display. Ten items, ten artifacts he discovered remains in a single room of the church housed in a glass case on one wall offered as proof of souls requesting mass and prayers. But... In 1912, that same father died inside the museum. Oh, uh, no one has added any more items to his collection since his death. That's kind of crazy. So if you go there, which apparently you still can go there, nothing's been added since 1912. There is a prayer book on display that has three finger marks burnt into it. It was owned by a woman named Maria Zaganti, who claimed she felt the touch of her friend Palmira Restelli's soul. Restelli, sister of the parish priest at the St. Andrew in Italy, reportedly died on December 28, 1870. She appeared to Zagante on March 5, 1871, leaving behind three burn marks in the shapes of fingers on the book. Restelli's spirit supposedly sought holy masses to a sister's soul, like every other story. Then, a dead woman burned her husband's nightcap to get his attention. In 1875, Luisa with a weird last name, who had died two years earlier, allegedly appeared in Duchy, France, to see her husband Luigi. She asked him to pray for her soul. As proof she was not a dream, she grabbed his sleeping cap, burning five fingers into the material. The singed fabric is still there on display in that weird museum. Then, in 1696, Sister Maria Herrendorps uh, was serving as a Benedictine monastery in Wardendorf, Germany, when Sister Chiara's ghost allegedly burnt a handprint into her apron. Uh, that person had died in 1637, so that's a long, that's like 60 years prior. Um, there's only one photograph of the garment, not the original relic, left at the museum. No one knows what happened to the original relic. Then um, the deceased mother of Joseph Lalouie, of Belgium, reportedly appeared in 1789. She had spent 11 days feeling queasy and ill at ease from hearing noises. The mother purportedly asked him to fulfill a promise in exchange for his inheritance from his father. And before leaving, she grabbed her son's sleeve and burned her handprint into the fabric. That's still there. Then there's a pillowcase um, from 1894. Sister Maria of St. Luigi Gonzaga in Italy Um she died on June 5th, 1894, then appeared to a fellow nun that same evening. Um, she said she was in purgatory as punishment for interfering with God's will during her illness. Sister Mary requested prayers for her soul, leaving a singed, singed fingerprint on Sister Margarita's pillowcase. Then finally, on All Souls Day in 1731, the apparition of former abbot Father Panzini appeared to Mother Isabella Fornori, head of an order of nuns known as the Poor Clares in Todi, Italy. He left a handprint and a cross on her wooden work table, along with additional handprints on paper and her smock's sleeve, allegedly causing her to bleed. You can see those on display at this museum. There's also a scorched prayer book. There's uh, burnt handprints on a devotional book that are there. Um, there's... Cash that was used to escape purgatory by a priest there. Uh, there's just a lot of, like, scrolling through, there's a lot of weird stuff at the museum. So if you happen to be, um, where is this? Where is this museum at? Um, if you happen to be at the Museum of Purgatory in Rome, it's apparently one of the weirdest, creepiest museums in the world. So if you like these purga stories, I'd say check out that museum. If I'm ever in Rome and I'm near there, I'm definitely going to go to it because that's creepy as hell. All righty. 
So what did we learn here? Um, how do we avoid purgatory? No idea. I got nothing. I, I guess I guess I have absolutely no no tips, no tricks. There's this purgatory is not a how-to on how to avoid purgatories, but um, I just don't know. It doesn't seem like being a good Christian gets you past purgatory. It doesn't seem like everybody goes to purgatory. It doesn't seem like, look, this whole thing just kind of cemented in me that if this purgatory shit is real, that I'm probably going to end up in purgatory because I do a lot of stupid shit for this episode, for this podcast alone. So I guess I got nothing. Good luck, everyone. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Have fun in purgatory. Also, if I die, can you guys just like pay someone to do a, one mass and then get me the hell out in one day? That's all I ask. Zero, Sigur. Zero, Sigur.